I am Natasha Ryan with The North Group, and this is our podcast, Time to Head North. And today, we are all about the tech side of things. Tech, 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 tech. And what better way to do that with one of our tech partners, I2G. Rob, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate your time. And I'm going to give you just a second to talk about your background. Um, I want to introduce Steve Hernandez, of course, the CEO of The North Group, on with us as well. Uh, Rob, give us a little bit about your your background. Well, I've, I've been in this industry for a very long time. I actually started owning some companies in the Carolinas. Uh, we used to make digital video recording equipment. We made some of the first web-based DVRs. Um, got out of that space, became an integrator for a while, started making cameras. Um, now I find myself over here as a systems integrator. And what I'm really leveraging currently is the experience I developed in the DoD days. I used to do a lot of consulting for the government work, did a lot of command control kind of systems, which really got me into the whole systems of systems mindset and the life cycle management. You work in things in the DoD space, you deal with very long life cycles. Procurement programs can last decades. Uh, when I came over into to more of the commercial space, it was stunning how much that wasn't here. Talking to my business partners, recognized this is an area we really can bring some expertise in and just help the industry work a little bit better. So that's currently what we're doing now at I2G. Love it. Steve, and, and a little bit about yourself. Uh, most people, of course, listening to the North Group's podcast probably know who you are, but just in case. Yeah. So Steve Hernandez, I'm a CEO at the North Group, um, you know, a, a security industry Um fellow, uh, you know, many, many different hats worn in the industry um, from from executive protection to to intelligence to threat analysis. Um, but now, more importantly, I'm an entrepreneur that that seeks out partnerships like I2G to better mitigate customer risk. All right. And I, of course, am Natasha Ryan, the VP of Communications moderator of this podcast, uh, former news anchor, now turned security enthusiast as I like to say. So we want to talk about technology because everyone in the security industry, you know, we just got back from GSX last month, um, the largest security conference, you know, of the year. And the, the amount of technology available and the speed at which technology changes and is driving the security industry now, we really want to kind of get into this. Um, how now more than ever is it important to look at technology as your counterpart and your partner for everything you do in the security world. Rob, I'm going to start with you. Sure. I mean, so a lot of people think technology is a solution. It's not. Technology won't solve a single problem. Technology is a tool. Uh, Just like you have your technicians equipped with the right tools, as you're running your security departments, you have to equip your teams with the right tools. And all the technologies you see on the show floor is being developed nowadays. Those are just means to an end, but nothing's a silver bullet. Nothing's going to put this magic piece of software system in place and everything's going to work, but they're going to enable you to do things. And they're going to enable processes and procedures that are going to give you data. And I'm sure Stephen will talk about data is incredibly important to how you drive your operations. We like to talk about that, don't we, Steve? Yes, we do. Intelligence drives operations and data is intelligence and how it is collected, disseminated, managed, and further is extremely important to the mitigation of not only, you know, individual users, but organizations as a whole. And, and Rob, you know, you guys have so much experience in, in finding the right technology for the right problem set. Um, talk us through how the evolution of 
security technologies has, has come from where you started to today? Oh, wow, that's uh, that can take a while. So we need to in under two minutes. <laughs> Ready, set, go. <laughs> right, uh, but no, I think uh, data actually plays a good theme there with that. When you first start looking at uh, security systems, that was the classic phrase: CCTV, closed circuit television. That was the idea that you could pop a camera somewhere and you could virtually be there. And that got to the classic Hollywood view of like wall of monitors and just people sitting there. They see all these really cool things and it looks impressive. And to this day, you still go to some command centers. You look at like the NASA central control. It's this huge wall of monitors. It just looks so cool. But the reality is if you actually talk to anybody that runs these kind of centers, the human brain doesn't operate that way. You can't stare at hundreds of pieces of video. And this, this people realize this even in the, in the 80s and 90s. Because you had this first wave of video analytics. You know, these, this first wave of technology is going to make things easier. And you know what? It worked pretty darn good on the indoor environment. We could tell you someone was in a hallway. We, we could tell you there's someone's in a room. But you start putting this stuff outside where a lot of the security threats are and there's this stupid flag blowing over in the breeze or there's there's a tree moving over here. Video motion detection was a, a promise that didn't quite meet its need, but it showed even you know 20 years ago, the industry recognized it was data. You had to do things to automate these systems. You just can't expect people to stare at a thousand cameras. You can't be able to stare at a thousand different door inputs on access control systems or visitor management systems. You have to have automations and data there. So what's really happened over the last you know couple of years is it's getting these systems to be more robust. The introduction of AI, uh, love it or hate it, it's really changed the way these systems are designed in that now the systems are trying to be more intelligent so they get actionable data coming off of it. But a really key piece, it's not just the data themselves, it's how do you manage it? How do you use it? What do they feed into? And this gets into our design philosophy. It's an operations-based first approach, which mirrors your guys' concept is, you know, data drives the intelligence that designs your operations. And so we're in complete agreement with how that works. And so really what I've noticed is you have two different layers of technology forming now. You have the companies that are creating the data and you have another set of companies that are trying to consume and present the data. And right now we're at a really nice time where you're starting to be able to build these systems that are absolutely amazing. You know, building automations that can tell you doors are open, close the door, save on your air conditioning, increase your security. Really neat synergies are starting to occur now in this space. It's fascinating. So you you take you take a system that is say, and I know you've got an amazing, amazing perspective on this in, in the terminology, but you take a system that's end of life five years ago that's still being used. And then you guys show up and you look at this and, you know, what are the questions that you engage the customer on first? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. It could be part of my background was in software. So I picked up a phrase in the 90s called technical debt. Um, it's the idea that as you make decisions while designing your software, um, you might take the easy way now, but you're going to pay for it later. You might defer a patch now and pay for it later. But I actually see this idea extends well beyond the uh, software space. You just gave a perfect example. Someone bought what probably to them was a cutting edge system five or six years ago. Yeah. The odds are in our industry, it hasn't been maintained. So some debt started to accumulate there with Croft, maybe camera lenses weren't cleaned, power supplies weren't fixed, batteries went end of life. But by the end of it now, you have a system that's old. It's still kind of functioning. It still does mostly what it did, but it doesn't do what you need to do now. And more importantly, it's not giving you that data you need in a modern system to drive your system. But how do you fix that? Well, I mean, I've had customers that recently 
some integrators sold them analog cameras over coax. That's a technically viable solution, but you just bought brand new technical debt. Whereas if you can re-leverage your infrastructure, that's less debt you have to carry. So you have to look at it as a full life cycle management. You just can't say, I bought technology today and it's going to operate 10, 15 years from now. It'd be like, I bought a car and didn't change my oil, put gas in the tank. No one thinks of it that way. When you look at these complicated security systems nowadays, without getting overly technical, you look at what takes to drive a modern access control system or a modern VMS it would be a high-end IT system by any standards. Yet these systems are very, very rarely ran by IT. They're installed yeah. once, people kind of dust their hands of it, and they just start degrading. It, it's actually the thing I hate most about our industry. It's really sad to see the much effort that goes into building these amazing systems, and then they're not maintained. And to me, that's the biggest source of technical debt you get, is just that you get these older systems, and no one treated it as a life cycle management problem. They treat it as, wow. I got to buy it. And every 10 years, you have that very painful conversation of, oh, I have to buy it again. I just did this. You know, it's over and over and over. And it's customers aren't happy. And I can tell you as an integrator, I'm not happy with it either. It's a very difficult conversation to have with somebody. So you bring up such an important point. You know, when you when you talk to say, say, say we have listeners that are, you know, directors or CSO level folks, um, they're they're. You know, presumably they're the buyer, right? In in this instance, um, they they have Bean Connors at their back, like we all do, right? Saying, you know, hey, here's your budget. This is what you can spend. Um, where where do organizations typically fall short? You know, I'm going to jump into risk and, and security. You know, after this, but where do organizations fall short with? the analysis of what they need versus what they want, what they should do, kind of all the in-between. Where do organizations fall short and where do you see them needing to improve their their ability to assess their current state? So let me actually answer that question backwards. I think one of the reasons you see the industry the way it is right now is it has to do with how companies are, are told to buy things, how, how they think they have to buy things. They, they believe it's a CapEx structure where I have to buy this now and I might get a little bit of maintenance OPEX, so I'm thinking ahead of myself here. But generally, it's those most capital expenditure occurs. If you're building a new building, you just put it in the new building right there. But once the building is you know 10 years old, well, now you're starting to do a refresh and maintenance on it. Well, that's the capital expenditure. That's how people view these things. But if you look at other parts of a company um, not related to security, those parts understand there are some things that are more of an OPEX based model than a capex based model it's just that really hasn't gotten too far in the security space and unfortunately it has in some sense where you have certain camera companies that won't bother to name but they're really going on the whole idea of like buy this camera for a monthly lease forever and it, there's a whole bunch of over promises and that talks about the idea of making procurement easier it doesn't necessarily address the issue of how to have a working system but I think it's because of how people buy things, you get into the issues we have here. But to, to answer your question of what do we do when we come into somebody, it's like, it's the first thing you do, Steve. What are you trying to do? What do you want to do? Then we'll figure out the tools to right fit. It might just be that, you know what, you just need a hard drive refresh. Your cameras are fine because you're not ready to use data analytics, but you're still getting the pixels on target you need. It's good quality video. You might get another five years out of the system. But you need to refresh because all your hard drives are failing. You know, people think hard drives. That's a great, not to go into a rant there, but the number of people I see that buy a modern computer system and think these hard drives are some perpetual device. 
Yeah. The reality is these are very finite lifetime devices. And if you don't view your servers as a, as a fleet that has to be maintained, that's the most pain point I see going into an old system is that that typically has to be addressed. But once you're replacing the servers, it opens up the whole ecosystem to also be addressed because it's such a painful lift. So well, go on, Natasha. So, you know, a question we get, because, you know, we, we do presentations and we speak about technology. And one of the questions we seem to always get is on this integration level conversation is, is it even possible if I have cameras that work, but then access controls a different brand? Like, can I integrate my technology? Is it possible or do I have to wipe and start all over again? A lot of different ways of handling that. And this, this gets to the point, this is where I bring value to the table is that, you know, it's obviously used to go just nuke it from orbit and we're going to replace everything. Yeah. Just give me a yeah. big pile of money. The reality is not everyone wants that or frankly should be doing that. The reality is um, most of the people, Steve, you're talking to, they're enterprise class customers. So they're already buying software systems that I would say are, are enterprise class. That means they're using proper database structures. They probably have good APIs. That's the kind of things where we can start doing integrations. Most any access control system that you're going to see running in a Fortune 500 company, they have integrations into VMS systems, the access control systems, intrusion systems. Likewise, any VMS manufacturer you see running into a Fortune 500 style company, they're a lot more than just a digital VCR. They're, they're a system. The issue is, is finding people to plug these systems together. That's the tricky part because everyone's staying in their own vertical. And you have some other vendors that are trying to be more of a software platform. Um, those are the ones I like deploying if we have the opportunity, but it's quite often you'll have an access control vendor, a brand A, a VMS, a brand B. You can make them talk together. That's, that's not a hard thing to do if you know the right questions to ask. It also helps to know the engineering teams at the companies to you know figure out how to get everybody to work together. So the consumer side of this, right, you, you know, a lot of what these systems are, are meant to do is document um, and, and, and alert, right? They're, they're alerting-based or documentation-based tools, as you said in the beginning, right? They're tools. There's, a, there's an evolution of this happening in the industry where technology is, is going to start replacing manpower, but manpower quality for response is going to have to elevate with the use of technology. And the technology, you know, AI and all these different attributes that are being applied these days, they they lend the question to the industry is where are we going to be in 10 years? And I and I think that, you know, us working together, right, there's some really brilliant strategies that have come out of, you know, some of the work we've done together. And, and I think it's important for folks to understand that the evolution, what that looks like, right, where where we came from, from 9-11 to, to today and then what the next 10, 20 years is going to look like. And from your perspective, you know, reaching deep down into, you know, the depth of experience that you have, what is from today, 10 years, 20 years, what is, what does the security technology industry look like and, and how will it be supported by physical AI and, and, you know, GSOC, SOX, you know, all these different, um, different methodologies for monitoring, response, alerting, um, kind of break that down for us. Cause I know you, your, your brain is massive and your, your experience is um, unsurpassed by anybody um, I've met. So I, I'm really interested in what your take on that is. 
So you, you got a couple different topics there. Uh, you have, you know, what's the manpower look like? And you know, there's manpower in the field, there's manpower in management, and there's manpower in the command control. So we'll go back to that. You have, you know, where's technology going? Um, you know, you have issues like on-prem, off-prem. Are you going cloud? Are you going to hybrid? You know, things are definitely evolving that way. A lot of companies are trying to sell, you know, software as a service. Um, you know, the, the whole idea is like, I think you're going to start seeing the evolution of security as a service. Um, that's something actually we, we're working on right now to be provide a full turnkey solution and that nature. Um, but as far as what the technology itself can do, it's, it comes down to, quote, is the data stupid? It's it, as you start getting more mature in your technologies program, it all's about the data. It's like anything in business. If you're not a data-driven business, you're really not a business. You're still a mom and pop little shop. You look at any meeting they're going into, it's all about that magic pivot table in the Excel spreadsheet, but there's data underneath that thing. And security systems right now are simply not viewed as a, as a source of data. And I, it's not that the systems can't do it. We've been recording, you know, door holds and door falses and, and all that with the information since we invented access control. But very few people are doing anything with it. Same thing with, uh, you know, the camera systems. I mentioned video motion detection. Now you have AI systems where you can say, there's a person wearing a red shirt or there's three people over here or a car did this. That is data. Where are people walking around your building? That's data. And your security system is generating all this data that's getting thrown on the floor because no one's doing anything to lift into it. And so by using this data, you can have significantly more intelligent command control nodes, which means you're starting to replace someone whose basically job is to stare at a monitor with analysts, business analysts, um, mm -hmm. security analysts. You're actually going to start paying these people probably a little bit more because they're doing now an expert service, but they're using this expert service in the data. So now they're going to be acting as your dispatch command control node who are in turn now are affecting the things in the field. So what are the people in the field? Well, you still have the stereotypical relatively low cost guard, but as you're asking to be more sophisticated, you're giving them more tools when they need to be trained to start using these tools. They might be using their phone as a virtual camera as they go around. They're actually getting statements of work and work orders and filling out information real time over their phones or the radios. But these are going to get augmented with um, UAVs and, and robots and drones. I'm not saying we're having the, you know, some horror movie of robots stomping around over there, but there's we a know lot how of, that ends. <laughs> we've, we've seen how that movie ends, but there is a lot of stuff to show that um, on certain customers are starting to use drones both to kind of act as a, another way of getting some information to look at something, but also as a deterrent. There are companies that are starting to make information kiosks on robot platforms that they're there for customer experience during during the day. But at night, the fact that this thing's roving around, that's the same thing as the classic roving guard. It, it's a deterrent for people. So those aren't ever going to replace the human operators, but they're going to augment them. But that means now your human operators need to be able to interact with us. So I think you're going to see a change in who is actually staffing these positions. I think you will see fewer staff in the field and they're probably going to be a bit more trained. You're definitely going to see a complete change in how dispatch and command control operates into a, it's more of an analyst driven kind of play versus let's say like a 911 dispatcher. Not that that is not required, but that group, the, the, um, the call taking the call center is an input into the dispatching center. So, 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 so I, I want to, I don't, I want to unpack that a little bit. I don't, I don't want to throw that into a parking lot because it, it's important, right? You, that evolution, I think, in my opinion, begins with 
analysis, right? To the to the end user. The end, you guys have all heard me say, you know, well, did you do a risk assessment? What does the risk assessment say? Let the risk assessment drive the outcomes um, and, and the task items. So do you see customers a lot of times, do they tell you, hey, this is what we need. We know we need this. Or do they tell you just figure it out? Both, honestly. You have some customers that know exactly what they want. Sometimes they're right. Um, more times than right, they're not. But quite often you get a customer tells you exactly what they want, but they're actually wrong. And one of the things I try to train my engineers on is understand what they're asking, but understand why they're asking it too. Understanding the why is vitally important to providing the right solution because someone probably made the best choice they were capable of making. And I don't mean any fault of them. They did the best job they could, but they may not have been aware of the entire decision surface available to them. There could have been a lot of options that they weren't aware of so that didn't even occur to them to consider option C because they only thought they had options A and B. So they're asking for B because that was the right choice between A and B. But you put this other option out there, it may not have been the right choice. Likewise, just like you have experts, Steve, that on your side about various operations things, we got a wealth of resource and command control on our company where we can start talking about, well, how are you operating now? What do you like? What do you not like? How do you like this best? You know, have a very in-depth conversation with what they're doing and say, well, here's a roadmap how we can shift your operations to a different path. And once you get over here, here's the tools you need. Now that's where I pick up ah, the tools you need. Now we know what to start building somebody. Until you actually understand what they're trying to achieve and what tools need to do, you know, a camera, cameras in a day, if you just need a little Costco camera, go to Costco, buy your camera, you're checking off a compliance box, you don't care, you're not ready for anything more sophisticated. But if you're trying to do more than that, you need to spend more than the Costco camera. No offense to Costco, it's a great system for like a quick service store or, or a home security system. But if you're talking about doing something at a, at a data center, uh, at a health park, or, you know, or a research lab, there's a lot more than just the appearance of security. Security is a vital function of what these places do. Yeah, there's and there's compliancy, you know, yes. pieces, right? There's there's you know different industries have different compliance pieces. I mean, it, you know, it's it's interesting, right? I use cannabis as one example, and then healthcare, and then say defense like skips. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cannabis. You know, Laura came out and said that this is what has to happen the you know no blind spots angles need to be covered um michigan set a, a precedent um with exactly what their expectation was and so a lot of folks that knew the square footage of say you know uh, a cannabis location they knew roughly how many cameras they would need just based on x right and then you get into healthcare, and now you're dealing with some serious compliance from hipaa to all kinds of different stuff so, I mean, you guys are very well versed in navigating compliance, not just, you know, response technology, you know, getting getting engineers up, but you guys understand the compliance side of multiple different industries. I mean, skips, right? I mean, they have a magnitude of different compliance data centers, right, that have secure data. Um, so how do you how do you navigate, you know, when you when you have that project kickoff? What what backend research do you guys do to to make sure that you're industry compliant with your customers' needs? So it's interesting to say project kickoff. That can mean two vastly different things for me. One is like a, we're kicking off the idea that we're going to build something together. That was more like a project planning kickoff. 
versus the, okay, we're actually deploying a project. Like a PO has been issued. We got a bill of materials over here and we got to install. So that's a project kickoff. And they both accomplish different things, but they're totally different objectives you're trying to accomplish there. This system's are typically designed on that first one. You're talking about what do you want to know? That kickoff of like, it's more of a getting to know you planning session. I like, so we are kicking off a, hey, let's decide to work together about how to solve this problem. And we have to get very intimate with how the company operates and have an honest conversation about what do they like? What do they don't like? I mean, it very well could be they have tool chains that they absolutely love, but they're simply not using them correctly. So we can work with the vendor and it could just be a matter of just doing a little bit of training, maybe adding an extra module. And they already had everything they needed. They just didn't know that because no one taught them how to use the tool correctly. Yeah. Other times it could be their operations are completely different than the kind of tool you need. In which case we have to figure out what is it you want to go and then we can help them comparatively shop. Um, as an integrator, one of the things we're best known for is, you know, all vendors cover your ears. I'm not very loyal to any particular platform. I'm really agnostic. I have a, a tremendous staple of technologies I can bring to bear and I can bring the appropriate one to the appropriate customer because I'm not beholden to, I only have to sell brand X or, or brand Y. You have integrators, that's their whole business model. They, they focus on selling one particular item so they can get at the absolute best price point. But if you don't have the full staple of technology, Steve, I'm telling you, you're only allowed to pick one vendor for all the, all the tools you use in your company. You tell me I'm absolutely insane. But these are some of the hindrances people walk into in these meetings when they're just trying to find you a solution, which means really map you one of the two or three things I sell. Well, as a business leader, I, I, I don't hear that you're not loyal. I hear that you're, you're proven strategy is for the customer's success. So you're focused on customer success versus vendor success, right? And yes, I, I, I think that that's important because we mutually run into customers that, you know, they're, they're in peril. They're in, they're in a state of flux. They're in they're they're they have a need and that need is immediate. And now how are we going to fix this? And, you know, maybe, you know, because their system's down, they're out of compliance now. Um, so it, I think it's important that the customer success, and I know you guys are very, very apt at this, is customer success is, is more important than did 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 we did we did we get what we wanted as an organization or as the provider or did we use the right vendor? You're you're focused on customer success, and I think that says a lot about the culture of I2G and the organization. Well, I think a piece of that, and thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I, but I think one of the things that's culturally different that I've seen here and other organizations is we really are focused on the life cycle of these things. You have a lot of companies that come in there and it's a rat race at the bottom about being able to squeeze their margin. They're going to hire maybe the most qualified people and they get in there, they'll win the job. They'll do a fairly good job installing it, but then they walk away and the relationship's done. That's not the kind of customer we want. We want the kind of customer where we're working with you long-term. And this gets into the life cycle management. And that's really one, echo back when I said earlier about technical debt. If you maintain these systems correctly and let them grow and evolve with you, things will not go end of life. You'll be replacing them and augmenting them as you need. And it's that that curated touch, that, that extra level of lift, that's what differentiates us at the end of the day. And being able to say, we'll help you keep the system going now 
and we'll still be here 10 years from now when it's doing something we none of us ever dreamed of, but we're going to help steer it there, maximizing the investment you've already made in your system instead of having to throw it out because the flavor of the week changed. Well, I got to say, yeah, I got to say, I got to say I2G is, is definitely an integrator, an integrator partner of the North group. We, you know, you guys have the massive depth of tactical knowledge, um, you know, listening to you and, some of your counterparts over there. Sometimes I'm, I'm just like, wow, I, I, I can't even keep up with some of the terminology. So everybody, I2G, I, I, again, I can't thank you guys enough for um, everything we've done together in, in the future that, that, you know, we're going to, we're going to bring to bear here with some of the other stuff we're working on. Uh, if, if you have any questions about this, um, how do people, how do people get a hold of you guys? Oh, 1-800-ITG. No, uh, <laughs> no, in all, all honesty, it's, uh, it's, it, it comes to the funny part. It's, it's relationships. And in all seriousness, I think most of our successful businesses have been via relationships and not, not via cold callings. We've had success somewhere and that person speaks to them. We've made great strides into any vertical we tackle because of word of mouth. Um, that, that said, uh, obviously you can reach out to me. Uh, I can give you my, if, I assume I can give you Natasha some email and phone numbers that we can post as part of this Absolutely. podcast. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'll, it'll be in the blog, the write up of the podcast underneath, you know, and, and I think you just, you hit on everything. I mean, every successful business relies on successful business relationships. You have yes, to yeah. be invested. And I think that's the number one reason clients would continue to come back and, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons we like working and partnering with I2G. So Rob, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. We're going to have I2G on a lot more podcasts since they are one of our partners, you know, technology is ever evolving. You guys are a wealth of knowledge. So what I'd like to see is some of you watching, if you have some issues, questions surrounding technology, please tell us, submit those either, you know, message me on LinkedIn or email me at nryan at tngdefense.com. Would love to hear from you. Of course, we have many more podcast episodes on our website, tngdefense.com. If you don't want to see our faces and you just want to listen to the audio, you can go to Podbean, Spotify, or iTunes. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thanks again for your time. Rob, Steve, have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.